Welcome to the Power of Love show sponsored by the Dee Dee Jackson Foundation, where we shine a light on loss and grief and how it impacts our lives. We are here to provide hope, resources, and a community so no one feels alone in their grief. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Power of Love show sponsored by the Dee Dee Jackson Foundation, where we shine a light on loss and grief and how it impacts our lives. My name is T.G. Jackson, and with me is my eldest brother, Todd Jackson. What's up, T? What is going on, man? How are you? Good. Just getting comfortable. Getting comfortable. I like it. I like it a lot. So as many of you know, uh, maybe this is your first time, though, watching or listening. We are live right now on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, You could be listening to us via a podcast. Yes, each and every single show uh, gets upstreamed, uploaded into the podcast universe, and becomes a podcast. So if you are a podcast listener, make sure to check out the D.D. Jackson Foundation. The Power of Love show is what the name of this show is called. And consider subscribing so you don't miss a show that way. If you are enjoying our podcast already, please consider leaving a review. It helps anyone who's looking for this type of content to find it. So... Um, With all of that said, we have a disclaimer to read, and that is that we are not licensed therapists. We are just ordinary people who have experienced loss in our lives. We've been impacted by it, and we have learned from it. And what we like to do here on the Power of Love show is share our opinions and our experiences in an attempt to help you get through whatever it is you are going through. Saying that if you need professional help, we urge you to seek it and to find it. Please do not just rely on us. Now, another thing I should share is that I mentioned Dee Dee Jackson Foundation, but I should also share the website in case you want to learn more about what we do specifically. Um, You can go to www.ddjf.org, and you, of course, can donate to all of our programs that we have going on. But even if you just want to listen or or I should say research or or learn more about what we're doing, go check us out at www.ddjf.org. So Taj Jackson, this is show number 305. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's amazing how we've been up to 300 uh, episodes. It's crazy. But um, I just wanted to, A, say Happy New Year again, but B, uh, check in with you and see what's going on in your week. How is your New Year's kicking off? You know, I love New Year's because it always, you know, hit the ground running in that way. But everything's going well. Just, you know, um, the sleep hasn't gotten any better. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I didn't expect it to, but that's kind of been uh, my, the story of my life in that way. Um, but I've come across a couple of things in terms of just I always have to remind myself about the gratitude aspect of everything mm. in that way. There's a lot of um, self improvement self-help stuff self um law of attraction stuff that i've been reading but the gratitude thing is the thing that i naturally always feel grateful for things but i i like it's important to say it and and to think it and remind yourself in that way so um, that's something i need to still work on in that way i'm always grateful for things but in terms of just it's easy when you wake up and you see you know you have three beautiful daughters in that way and a beautiful wife and you're like okay you know, this is, this is the life in that way. So, but that's what, that's my, what I'm, I, I told you I was going to make new year's resolution. So it's not a, a new year resolution, but 
um, including gratitude in my life is something that I want to do more of as well. Taj, you know, we of course always heard about the power of gratitude or the importance of gratitude, but it wasn't with, um, ah, I'm forgetting Please Dr. Help Green. Me, Dr. Green. Um, <laughs> I don't know if she goes by Dr. Green. I think we asked her and she didn't like that or something. What it was? Yeah. So, so there you go, Taj. I don't know. Obviously, Mira's mom. And I, I, I feel so bad. I'm blanking on her name again. I think but, we still called her doctor, but yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, a beautiful soul, beautiful person who really impacted me. She, she, out of all of our guests, she's definitely one that, that influenced my life because of the way she, she talked about gratitude. I, one of my favorite questions. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first time I really got a good understanding of it. One of my favorite thing to do is is to ask people from a prior generation, uh, what would they advise? What do they wish they'd learned more, did more of when they were younger? And that was the one thing she, I remember her saying or really saying we need to do better on as a society. And I, I loved it. And I, I really committed to it. And I really felt a huge difference. So mm-hmm. um, I, I I love that. And I, I don't I don't ever think it's too late to practice it. But the truth of the matter is, if you're watching this or part of this show, we are so blessed and fortunate. And sometimes we forget that because of all the things in, in life that, you know, what do they call it? Third world country problems uh, that aren't when, when you zoom out is really just minor, mostly minor stuff. So I agree with you, Taj. I think uh, gratitude is a huge component to a healthy lifestyle and, and a healthy life. So I appreciate you even mentioning it uh, on, on today's show. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm always about l- learning and learning more. So yeah. Love it. All right. So Todd, let's get into our show. Uh, since we talked about gratitude, that's unless there's something else that was going on in the last week or so that that is pressing you want to mention. Not that I can remember. So I did think so. Move all right. Well, on today's episode of the Power of Love show, we welcome a very special guest to the program. Her name is Dr. Corey Lee. Dr. Corey Lee is a Santa Fe, New Mexico-based published children's book author, a university professor, a child life specialist, and a grief counselor who has spent 20 years working with children and families experiencing grief and loss. As an associate professor and program director of the Thanatology program at Marion University, she teaches graduate courses on child development, death, dying, and bereavement. Dr. Lee obtained her PhD in transpersonal psychology, where she wrote her dissertation on the lived lived experiences of bereaved parents. She also holds a master's degree in public health and grief counseling and a bachelor's degree in child development. Her first book, What Does Grief Feel Like, was released in 2023. And her second book is set to be released this winter. And it is written for grieving teens. Dr. Lee serves on the board of directors for Heroes Path Palliative and provides psychosocial care to medical, medically fragile children and their families. She speaks and presents at national and regional conferences on issues of grief, loss, and coping. Here today to share a bit more about her impactful work in the grief space. Without much further ado, please welcome to the stage Dr. Corey Lee to the Power of Love show. Dr. Corey Lee. 
automated uh claps yeah i like it <laughs> anyway we just added John, those like, yeah that is, it's not too old it's like seven eight episodes, well more than that but okay when i do the intros some are easy some are challenging please correct me on any words that i may have messed up no you did you did a wonderful job <laughs> um i like you know every time i i hear the um my own introduction i'm like oh dear i need to like pare that down. Um, but on the other hand, I do so much um, mm -hmm. in so many different aspects of grief and loss, but they all intersect. Um, mm -hmm. So that word that you mentioned, thanatology, um, it's always like, it, it's an interesting question. It's an interesting conversation to bring up just in social settings too, where people ask me, what do I do? Um, and when I'm feeling more um, verbal, <laughs> more conversational, I'll say, well, what do you think thanatology is? Um, and when you look at the word thanatology and you look at the root of it, thanatos or thanos, and you think of like guardians of the galaxy. Yeah, who, I was about to say, it's who Marvel, was, right? Who was thanos? And you don't <laughs> actually get this information in the movies, but thanos in Greek mythology is the god of death. And then when mm. you have ology, it is the study of, you put those two words together, thanatology is the study of death, dying, grief, and loss. Wow. Wow. I, I You know, I, I'm big on learning and, 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 you know, educating the community and those who are watching or listening. And I, I bet you most people did not know that. So I yeah. thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I, I was about to say, when I was reading the bio, I, I was thinking, or your intro, I was thinking, just, I swear this is Thanos, but it can't be Thanos. So, so, but there you go. Or maybe it's Thanos. Maybe I'm just saying it improperly. Yeah, no, you know no, you, you're right. Right on. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, Dr. Lee, as you said, you're doing quite a bit, uh, all in the grief space. I, I, I like to start these these talks with the simple question: What motivated you to pursue a career? Um, in grief space, and I guess more specifically as a grief counselor, specializing in supporting children and families through grief and loss for the past two decades? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a simple question, right? But, you know, when you peel back the layers, it becomes quite complicated. Um, and I will do my very best to be succinct about it. So I, I like to think about my journey as one that was really set kind of for me. Um, I was one of those very rare people, um, very rare children, um, that I just knew what I wanted to do when I was very young. Um, I'm talking like seven, eight, nine years old. Um, and it wasn't as specific. I didn't know the word thanatology. I certainly didn't even know uh, grief counseling. But I was very clear that I wanted to work with hospitalized children to help them. That, that was as, as far as I had gotten in my nine-year-old brain. Fast forward to my first career is as a child life specialist. This is another field that maybe your listeners aren't familiar with, but child life specialists are trained at the intersection of child development and the impact that stressful hospital healthcare and medical experiences have. So mm. you find child life specialists typically in a pediatric hospital that's where I started. So I was 20 years old, um, fresh, like <laughs> finishing my bachelor's, not even graduated yet. 
um, and working as a child day specialist um, in one of the biggest children's hospitals on the East Coast. Um, and I had the sickest kids. I was working in a pediatric ICU. And so in my youth, in my 20 years of life, um, I was really impacted by mm. so much death um, every week. And even though my bachelor's degree prepared me at a very foundational level, I felt like I needed more. That's how I deal with, um, with challenges. If something challenges me or if I, if I fail at something, um, I really want to understand why. What is it that's so hard for me? Why don't I get it? How can I do better? So that's when I went back to school um, for thanatology. That's the first time that I had heard about it. Um, so very long story short, once I discovered the field of thanatology and I became a thanatologist, um, I very quickly left the hospital setting and I started working specifically in pediatric hospice and palliative care. That's pretty much where I've spent the majority of my career is working with medically fragile children, their families, that includes siblings, to help them understand what's happening to them, to mm -hmm. express the emotions associated with it, and to help the family understand, process, and navigate this mm -hmm. very, very complex experience. Um, so that's that's the Cliff Notes version of how I ended up in this field. Can you just quickly inform us what palliative means? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a word I, you know I've heard several times, but I couldn't tell you with confidence what that means. Yeah, so it's is another. I'm, I've become quite interested in language and where words come from. So palliative, when you look at the root of it, pal palliate means to cloak. So its original origin is to cover something. Now, in this context, how palliative care came to be is when we're looking at individuals that were suffering, they were in immense pain. And what do we do with that pain is we try to cover it. We try to dampen it. So a very, very generalized definition of palliative care is helping to live the best quality of life that somebody can live in the midst of a chronic illness or an acute mm -hmm. illness that has the potential to end their life. It doesn't mean that a person is dying. And in fact, most of the children that I work with on palliative care are vivacious and um, very full of life and living their lives and fully in their life, but they're living with a medical complex illness. And with that comes with a very, very complicated intersection. So when you're medically fragile, it's not just your body that's impacted, it's your emotions. So we're looking at like the psychological, the mental, the spiritual, the social, the family. So it's a holistic way of not just treating a child mm. medically, but supporting the entire family through that process. Yeah. You you mentioned a couple minutes ago how uh, you were working at a children's hospice. I, 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 that is, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to, what to say. That's, some, that's probably the, like the most challenging job I could think of or type of thing to do and think of. 
Um, real quickly, I just wanted to know how did you decompress uh, in that in that with with that as a career? I I wouldn't last a day doing that. So I commend you because someone has strong, able, and and you know composed has to do that. I'm just curious to know how did you to uh, decompress and how did you how were you able to survive doing that job? Yeah, it's a really important question. Um, and you know, I floundered a lot. Um, I failed a lot. I became very burnt out um, when I first started working. I experienced vicarious traumatization. Um, I I really struggled with that balance with the balance of feeling so fulfilled in a job um, and in a career, but it was also depleting. So mm. it's taken me, I mean, I've been in this work for 20 years. It's taken me 20 years to really figure out how do I take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And a part of that now is both kind of spreading myself out. So I don't just do clinical work anymore. I used to just do that exclusively. Um, I'm now in academia. I write. Um, I do, you know, administrative stuff on the board, and then I also have a small practice. So I find that when I can have various aspects of my life that are engaging, but it isn't all clinical, that's helpful. Um, and then also making time in my life for play. Um, and for me, play is about creativity. So I write music and I sing. Um, I've just started doing pottery. So like, you know, finding mediums and modalities that I can use my hands um, and my body um, and generally just being around creative, kind people, I find mm. to really fill me up. Um, mm. And then sometimes I just really just need to lounge on the couch and do a whole lot of nothing. Um, and so really kind of giving myself permission that self-care looks totally different every day um, and that what works one day may not work the next day. Um, and so I need to, just like with the families I work with, I have to have a very robust toolkit. I have to be able to be like, okay, like for this specific day, what is going to be the best fit? Well, I, I commend you again, and and I thank you for that explanation. You know, there's some in our community that are considering going somewhere, you know, are relative to that that career path, and I just think that's an important thing to discuss and to be prepared for because it's it's a it's got to be incredibly challenging. Yeah. Todd, did you? Oh, go ahead, Dr. Lee. You know, I was going to say it is challenging, and not to diminish the the challenging and the sad parts of it, but how I know that I'm in the right field is that even on those most challenging and sad days, I left at the end of the day feeling so honored mm. and so grateful That's that great. I got to meet that baby or mm. play with that sibling or help a family find a sliver of joy or a mm. sliver of hope. And arguably the most painful experience that anyone can go through. And then That's even true. just being able to witness and sit there and be with the family is such a huge honor. That's powerful, Dr. Lee. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I do have another question, but Taj, I feel like you had one or no? Um, she, you, you kind of answered it, but okay. just in general, because it, it was more of, yeah, just what it takes in that way. I, I know you mentioned that 
you were someone that if you didn't have the answer, you found the answer in that. But um, you also seen because listening to you now, which is, I mean, I, as TJ said, we commend you in terms of what you're doing in every field that you're doing. You're, you're pretty much every, everywhere. Good. You know, thank goodness in that way. And we're going to get to the books and I'll, and the book, I'm in the book and everything as well. But for me, it's, we do have listeners that are thinking about going into certain fields like this in that way. And, and I, um, you see me like now you have everything kind of, and you, as you're saying, like, it's still a work in process, but you seem like you're so well put together in terms of like, I, I like you have the answers for everything, but you've mentioned that basically you didn't. You, <laughs> yeah, you no. And you know, the, the one thing, like, like the more degrees I get, the longer I teach, like the less I know. Um, and it really like, it's interesting that I, I started out with this like desire and this need to understand. Um, and even though theoretically, like I can list off all these theories and clinically I work very well with families. I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have the answers. Um, and and you put I in feel, a lot of work too. That's the thing too. Just the, yeah. And the, there's like, I feel like there's a way in which using that humility and being humble about not knowing, especially mm -hmm. when we're talking about answering questions that children have, or how do you tell your child someone is dying? You don't have all the answers and you're never going to, and there is no perfect way to have these conversations. And I think if we can kind of like take some of that pressure off, like there's no such thing as perfection, like even professors and doctors, like we we don't know, we, we don't know, um, but we're really good at asking questions and we're really good at helping the people that we're working with um, explore and become curious about what we don't know. With, with all your experience, decades in this space, in the grief, um, you know, loss space, what What's one thing, either advice or just one thing you, you would want to tell the common person, um, either as a misconception or, or just anything? What's the one thing you would say? Um, what, what was the one thing you would want to relay to the common air who's just who you had a second to talk to about yeah. this topic? Yeah, I think if I were to look at it from a very global mm -hmm. perspective, um, the one thing and I have all, I can like go on a tangent on this, so I'll try not to. <laughs> um, the one thing that that tends to get ingrained in brains is that somehow that grief has stages and that we start here and we end here and it's a successive journey. And once we're at this point, which is usually marked by like a time period, we can wash our hands of it. Um, there have been dozens of studies, um, new theories, um, that have refuted um, and essentially helped us understand that stages don't exist. Mm. They are not linear. There is no such thing as moving from one stage to another. Um, it can help us organize. And that's really where like this interesting thing happens in research versus like taking research and putting that to clinical work is oftentimes research is, is conducted clinical research to help the clinician 
better understand how to help their client or how to help the person with them. But what happens is that the the findings of those studies kind of just like immediately go to the general population. Um, and then we grab on to this idea that we can take something inherently complicated, very messy, super contextual, and put it into boxes. Because cognitively, you know, as humans, that's what we do when we are confronted with something we don't understand. It's either this or it's like that. We can move towards it. We can move away from it. But when it falls outside of that, it like literally fritzes our brains. Um, so that's a very long way of saying if we can start to pivot, maybe reframe and shift the way that we think about grief is grief is not just an emotion although we tend to talk about it just as an emotion it is a full human experience our brain changes our gut changes our emotions change the way that we relate to the world around us changes the way that we relate to ourselves changes so it almost becomes a part of who you are that you've never met before so if you imagine like you're, you know, 22 years old and you've just experienced your first significant loss, you've spent 22 years of your life building yourself to be what it is now. And now this other part has shown up with a suitcase being like, I'm moving in. <laughs> and you're like, I don't know you. I don't know who you are or what you do or how you feel in my body. And so if we can start to understand grief as a part of us, and become curious about it and understand how it shows up, when it shows up, what it needs, what it requires of us. That can help us start to shift away from this idea of like grief as pathology or it's been 13 months. Why, why are you still missing them? Um, so like I said, I can go on a tangent on this. Yeah, so I, no, hope I love that. That made sense. It made, it made a lot of sense. So I, I appreciate that answer. I agree with you. I think a lot of people, I, and I, I could say, I mean, I, I my grief journey was a little different, but I, I think a lot of people, they want to gravitate to things like steps. And there's like, as if there's a, a playbook on how to maneuver through it. You know, if you do X, you know, ABC, then you'll, you'll, you'll be okay. Kind of a thing. And yeah. that's not how it really <laughs> works at all. So I appreciate you saying it in, in the way you did. Uh, because it's, I completely agree. You know, we've, we've talked about this many times. There could be weeks where we're doing well and then something just throws you back into feeling, you know, mm -hmm. one of those kind of ways that are in those stages. So I, I appreciate mm -hmm. the answer. Now, um, obviously with your grief counseling, this is a two-part question. How can someone connect with you um, to so that you can work with them and in, in, in their healing journey or in the process? And what can someone expect in working with you? Yeah, so the easiest way is to go to my website. Um, you can also DM me on Instagram, but I'll send you to my website. <laughs> um, so go to my website and fill out. There's like um, a little contact me um, form, and that just bumps right to my email address. And then we can um, talk a little bit about maybe working together. And, you know, what to expect. It's actually like, it's, mm -hmm. I have to think about that because it's different for everybody. Um, I can say logistically, like practically speaking, I work almost exclusively virtually. Um, I do have an in-person office here in Santa Fe, but to be honest, like 
Most of the people I work with are scattered throughout the country. I do have a few people I work with in other countries as well. Um, because the nature of my specialization is so specific, um, I certainly specialize in the loss of a child, um, but I also have subspecialties in pregnancy loss, um, termination for medical reasons, stillbirth and miscarriage. So people who have experienced those kind of losses tend to find me um, and they're usually not in Santa Fe. Um, hmm. So it is over Zoom um, and sessions are kind of like the, the traditional, you know, 50 minutes. Um, and it really, really depends on what a person is needing, um, what they're coming to me for. Um, and if they're open to being um, creative um, and exploring through art materials, um, what I'll do is I'll have my I'll give my clients like um, an art list of picking up certain materials so that they have them physically in front of them, and then I will facilitate um, an activity or a, a processing. Um, and I've actually found it to be quite helpful. Using you would think that Zoom or virtual would be um, mm. a challenge, but I've I haven't experienced any challenges when people are ready and interested in exploring that. Yeah, I I. I can make the argument it's it's less oh it's obviously less intimidating because you you know a lot of times you're doing it from the comfort of your room or your home and it, it's because that's something that i've always been worried about with therapy is the intimidation factor that the fear so i i think it's a, a beautiful thing and and one thing i want to highlight is your uh website address in case you're listening you don't know what it is. And that is CoreyLeePhD.com. It is K-O-R-I-E-L-E-I-G-H-P-H-D.com. Um, I, I love that rundown and, and I appreciate the information. Again, our goal here for the Power of Love show is just to spread information on grief and, and to help hopefully people connect with people that they need or hear something they, they desperately needed to hear. So I thank you for, for sharing your services publicly with us. Yeah, um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about uh, is your, is your book. Uh, what was, I love it. You, the <laughs> smile was awesome. Um, so what does grief feel like? Um, first of all, what was the inspiration behind the book? Why did you want to write a book? And um, yeah, who would you say is the intended audience for the book? Yeah, so this is definitely um, a multi-year process. Um, I first started <laughs> thinking about writing a book um, when I was working in the pediatric hospice. It really came out of my clinical work. So I do a lot of grief work with children, um, with siblings. And at the time, um, there were no books specific about grief. So that's one thing to just keep in mind. There are a lot of books now, um, and I'll talk a little bit of why about how mine is different. Um, but at the time, there really were no books on grief specifically. Lots of books on death, lots of books on talking about death and um, books where characters die. So what I was finding is that in my sessions, I ask the same questions. I would do the same activities um, with different siblings. And they were pretty simple. Sometimes the questions would be as simple as, if your grief were a color, what color would it be? Mm -hmm. And we would spend an entire session on that one question. And so over the years, as books came out, 
um, I was just never, I, I really wasn't satisfied with them. Um, in my background coming from child development, I am very aware of the language, the words, um, the reading level of the books that I'm using. Um, and also as a child specialist, knowing the importance of concrete, direct, honest, accurate information. I, like if those were like a checklist, maybe there was one book and of that one book, I would tape pages together because certain things were not appropriate. So eventually it was during COVID, um, it was um, August of 2020 and I was sitting in my kitchen table just and a download came. I was like, okay, the book's ready. And in one sitting, I wrote the book um, and this is very rare. I did go through many rounds of editing, but the majority of the text is what I wrote at the kitchen table that day. Um, it was just, it was ready. It was ready to come out. It was ready to be there. Um, so the book is written for younger children. It's, you know, really written for the pre-operational child. So like three to seven. Um, however, I have had you know, people come and tell me, I use this with my spousal loss group. We mm. had an 83 year old, someone said an 83 year old in the group read this book, and was able to use the questions in it and even identify with the characters in it um, as he was processing the loss of his wife. Mm. So one of, I think the most powerful aspects of not just this book, but children's literature in general mm. is that we take really complicated topics and we distill them. We make them palatable. We make them easy to digest and understand. The words are not too big. The sentences mm. are short, but they're powerful. And so I have used this book with a three-year-old. So I like to say it's from three to 83. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a psychotherapeutic book. And what that means is that it isn't a storybook insofar that you just give it to a child and say, good luck, you know, have fun reading this. Um, it's meant to be read with a child. It's mm -hmm. meant for an adult to read it with a child, to ask questions that are embedded throughout the pages. Um, so that example of if your grief were a color, what color would it be? That's a question in the book. Um, mm -hmm. And the book opens up right away. Um, the very first page is you can see a child sitting in a chair and it says someone I love died. So right away, we're using the words dead, die, death. Right away, we're setting the stage. And the first question in the book is, did someone that you love die too? What was their name? So it helps to open that conversation because oftentimes parents would come to me and say, I don't even know how to start the conversation or what do I say or what questions yeah. do I ask? This book provides it for you. And then That's in great. the back of the book, there is a parent and a caregiver guide that provides a little bit more information on just developmentally appropriate responses, um, what to look for behaviorally, um, what's kind of typical behavior when like a three-year-old is grieving or a seven-year-old is grieving um, and things like that. What does grief feel like? The book, the debut book by Dr. Corey Lee is available on Amazon, bookshop.com, Target, Barnes and Noble, and... Uh, I was going to say my favorite, but I'm getting back to the hard physical copies. But yeah, I'll still say my favorite. And of course, Kindle. 
Uh, I love Kindle. Now, Taj has a question for you, Dr. Lee, before I go to my second question. And Taj, go ahead and ask that. I don't really, I know what you're going to say on my question. <laughs> but but you, you don't I don't like think it's appropriate. I, I, I think I've you're right, Taj. Whenever I, someone creates a, a grief book or a book, book on grief, my go-to question is always, is it going to be on Audible? But maybe but, this one's not really for Audible. Yeah, right? that's, or it's going to yeah. be, yeah, is, it gonna, is there an audio version of it? But I wasn't going to ask that question for this because I see the importance of especially talking, you know, this book's about yeah. someone being there with the, with the child and, yeah. and kind of being there talking with them. And, and so I wasn't going to ask that question, right. believe it or not. Cause I ask it on every, <laughs> I, like, I, I understand this one. Like I understand nah, why it wouldn't be in that way. And it, it's, it, I love how, First of all, the cover is amazing, but I also love when you said you got straight to the point of death, yeah. dying, grief, like that, the things that would be hard for a parent or a person to bring up to a child, it's there right away. And, yeah. and so it, this is really, I wish we would have, I would have, my 21 year old self would have read this book, you know, when my mom passed in that way, just in that way, because I needed something, um, simplified well, more do, so do, in that way than something more complicated because you're in that mindset that it's so it's overwhelming as it is so you're right yes. the children books are amazing for that aspect yes and just no big words no <laughs> yeah and and to kind of take it a step further in terms of just you know what is important for general people to understand is that when we're grieving our brains are grieving particularly the the front part the prefrontal cortex which really helps us with executive functioning so um, memory concentration um, being able to multitask, recall, um, do higher functions. So that it's it's almost like that part of the brain is dampened. So our ability to read a whole page of text, not so much. Mm. That's one of the challenges. There are beautiful books out there um, for adults on grief, but they're 250 pages. Yeah. Um, if you are in fresh, raw, early grief the first year, it's really, really hard. It's And for most people, it's impossible to sit down and be able to read and recall and remember and then like synthesize that information. Um, so you're, you're absolutely right. That's why children's books and even kind of like just smaller textbooks are what I recommend for the people that I work with. That's yeah. great. Thank you for that. It's very important. And I think that's a, a nugget that I, I'll always you know have now. So I appreciate that. Um, and now you have a second book that is scheduled for release this winter. What what details can you share with our community about this upcoming project? Yeah, so I have a small update. It's not going to be out this winter. Oh, I know. My publisher let me know for sure. It's it's going to be out in the fall. Okay. So we still have a little bit of time to go. It's written. Okay. It's gone through like seven rounds of editing. Um, it's it's I, I'm super excited for it. It's just in the um the traditional publishing. So I have a publisher. I didn't self publish, hybrid publish. Mm -hmm. Like I like it. Just it moves really slow. Yeah. Uh, but the quality is yeah. is yeah. amazing. Yeah. So yeah. I I am fully fully prepared to see a beautiful <laughs> book um in September or October. Great. Um, so this book mm -hmm. was also written right after I wrote. What does grief feel like? But it started out as a poem. 
Um, it started out as like a, a written poem that was essentially um, my recollection of asking teenagers and young adults that question, which is essentially, if your grief were blank, what would it be? My grief is like blank. So very open-ended. And it was just like a compilation of all of that. I sent that to my publisher and they said, we love this idea, but we can't publish a poem. I was like, okay, I'll write a whole book. So essentially I took each stanza and each stanza has become its own chapter. And it's really on navigating, understanding, expressing, and moving through grief as a teenager. Um, and if there are few books for children on grief, there are even fewer, fewer. <laughs> yeah. for teenagers that are well-written, appropriate, accurate, and that a teen's going to actually want to like open up or use. That's the other thing. So the book is also, it's, it's written with very simple language. Um, but it is also paired, so each chapter, each section is paired with an activity. So if that teen wanted to, they could do it on their own, but it could also be done like with a friend or um, counselors and teachers and, um, you know, even after school activity uh, folks can take this book and just use the curriculum that's within it. So all of the activities to facilitate a three week, a six week, an eight week, a 12 week grief group for teens. That's great. Okay. And again, to learn more information, I know on your Instagram, I'm sure once the book is out, you will be letting us know via Instagram. Yes. Yeah. So for everyone out there, you can follow Dr. Corey Lee on Instagram. Uh, her handle is at D-R-K-O-R-I-E-L-E-I-G-H. And I also assume it will be on your website, which we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. And then I have another comment I want to post up. This is from April who says, talking about your first book, um, mm -hmm. What Does Grief Feel Like? I'm really interested in this book. My son is seven and lately he's been having such a difficult time with the loss of his baby brother. He passed three years ago and he's still having a hard time understanding. And the majority of the time, I don't know how to explain it to him in a way he does understand. So I guess my first question to you would be, is there any thoughts you have back to April? And then what is your opinion? Would, the, would your book be something that would be good for them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And April, thank you so much for asking this question. And my heart goes out to you for the loss of your of your baby um, and your grief. Um, the fact that your son is seven now, but was three years younger when the loss happened um, is something I talk about in the back of this book as well. So when children are pre-operational, when they're in this magical thinking stage, um, it is really, really hard for them to understand the finality and the irreversibility of death. Um, using very concrete words, such as when somebody dies, it means that their body stops working forever. They don't eat, they don't play, they don't sleep. When we die, we die forever. It can sound harsh, but it is very true. And it is simple and concrete when we start with just the basics. The other thing that can be really hard for younger kids, especially if there is a 
any kind of belief in heaven or an afterlife. It, like it, it can get a little confusing to be like, well, wait a minute, like if brother is, has died and he's in heaven, like why can't I go visit him in heaven? Right. So or um, there was a family who said, you know, we lost your sister. And then the four year old was seen like looking under the table. Well, if we lost her, we should find her. Right. So using euphemisms can really muddy the water um, for younger kids. So that would be my first suggestion is to just be stick to the basics and the very concrete, simple language. However, what can happen around the age of seven is kids exit out of their pre-operational stage, and they enter into something called concrete operations. So seven years old, seven, seven and a half, eight, it kind of depends on the child, is really where if a loss has happened years before, they're going to be revisiting that loss with a new understanding. So I've worked with some, some children that around three or four, their sibling died, but it wasn't until seven, eight, nine, that in their words, it clicked. I understood, oh, he's never coming back. When you die, it means you die forever. Because the way that they're understanding abstract ideas is changing and evolving. So oftentimes you'll get, you know, children of this age range going back and revisiting and asking the same questions again or being like, well, wait a minute, like you said that they died by this, but like, what does that mean? So they're asking more complicated questions. And in a lot of ways, they're, they're re-grieving. Um, so maybe you'll see behavioral regression. Maybe you'll see them becoming more clingy or fearful. And it's all developmentally normal. It, and, it, and it is normal to see some behavioral regressions. But what a book like mine can do is it can help to normalize. It can help to give us space. Um, because oftentimes in families, we want this to be a one-time conversation, um, mm. but it, it, it unfortunately isn't. Um, and for the parent that is also grieving, that can be really, really hard. So if you have another person like an auntie um, or you know, even, even someone in the family that can have these conversations, that can read this book, um, it can be a really, really healing place. Um, so I definitely recommend that. I think my book would be very, very helpful. Thank you so much for that response, Dr. Corey. And April, we are sending you all the love possible. All the love possible. Um, okay, so uh, Dr. Corey, the next thing I wanted to ask you about was how you are serving on the board of directors for Heroes Path Palliative. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, can can you share some insights about the organization and how uh, how can we learn more about it and contribute to its mission? Yeah. Thank you so much. So Heroes Path Palliative is a five hundred one c three nonprofit. Um, we are the only pediatric palliative care organization in the state of New Mexico. Um, so in this state, there are over 50,000 medically complex children, so children that are living with medical complexities. Um, and up until our organization formed in 2019, there was really no psychosocial support for these families. Um, Heroes Path was formed uh, by three bereaved parents um, whose child died in the state of New Mexico without receiving palliative care. Um, so these families know what they could have received if they lived in another state. 
um, but because they were here and there was just inadequate services, they didn't have that. So they banded together um, and created Heroes Path. And the essentially the role that I have is I provide the psychosocial services. So I provide the supportive counseling. Um, we do um, outings and we have um, a few different um, kind of activity groups that run when the weather is better because it's really cold and snowy here right now. Um, but in the nicer months, we mm-hmm. have a lot of outdoor activities um, where we bring children um, into nature, into the environment, and we integrate different um, you know, arts-based activities with them. And then I also provide home-based care. So I have some families that I'll drive to their home and I'll do sessions at their home because of you know, parenting a child who has a G-tube and a trach and is in a wheelchair and is vented, like you can't get in the car and drive an hour, um, you know, to see me. So I'll get in a car and drive an hour to see you. Um, so that's, that's what I do on the board. And then I do a lot of grant writing. We are in the process of trying to, um, raise capital to build a house, that would essentially be a respite house and a hospice house for the children of New Mexico here. So cool. Uh, what's the best way for people to learn more about Heroes Path Palliative? Is it the is website? It going, your website going there first? So Heroes Path has its own website. I, okay. I believe it's just heroespathpalliative.org. Okay, great, great. Okay. And then um, we talked about your website. That's probably the best place to learn more about you and to see what projects you have not only done, but are that's coming up uh, for the future projects. Um, we mentioned briefly your Instagram, but for, for, you know, a lot of people now like to just follow people on Instagram and, and stay uh, abreast that way. Um, again, Dr. Lee's Instagram handle is Dr. Corey Lee. That is D R K O R I E L E I G H. Is there anything else we missed, Dr. Corey, before we turn it over to you for for your final words? Anything you want to say off topic, on topic, anything? You know, I this this work is just it's my life's work. Um, I really love what I do, and I want to support children and families however I can. Um, I feel so honored and blessed that I can write. Um, and publish these books now. And I actually have four more um, that are in the process of publication. Um, The next children's book that's coming out, just if anyone is interested, um, has nothing to do with grief. It is actually a book on a very common learning disability. Um, So the publisher that I publish with is doing a whole series on the most common childhood learning disabilities. And I'm writing a book on one of them. Uh, so if you follow me on Instagram, I'll be making uh, posts about that as well. Very good. Very good. Um, okay. I'm just going to highlight some comments um, just so you can see all the love you're getting. Uh, and everybody is thanking you mm-hmm. for, for sharing your information and knowledge. Uh, so thank you so much, Dr. Lee. I, I don't know if I, if I, gave you your moment, but because I kind of muffled the question um, by asking, is there anything else you want to say? So so now I guess I should say, is there any other thing you want to talk about? Any favorite Netflix show, favorite cooking recipe, or anything of those natures? Uh, 
Otherwise, you don't have to, but I, I just want to make sure I give you your moment to say whatever you want to say. Yeah, thank you. Um, so just uh, like two, two very quick things. The first mm -hmm. is, um, you know, grief is one of those human experiences that touches all of us. Um, and so often in this Western culture, um, we are grieving together alone. Mm. Um, we live in our houses that are feet apart from other houses. We get in our cars to go drive to the drive-through. Sometimes people go an entire day without speaking to another human being. Mm. And when we live in these isolated um, communities, it makes the grieving process that much more hard, that mm. much more stuck. And if there's one thing that I can suggest or recommend is to find your people, find your grief space, find um, whether that's virtually or in person, whether it's a death cafe, um, which happen oftentimes in a lot of communities. Um, here in Santa Fe, we have grief cafes. Um, we also have a very vibrant art community. And so there's, um, I'm collaborating with an artist community here to create more community spaces for collective grief. Um, that's actually what I'm gonna be conducting my next study on is the intersection of the way that ritual and art and community all come together to support the grief that we're all walking around with. Um, even not just death losses, but when we think of all of the cumulative losses, the secondary losses, um, we're all grieving. And mm. if we can just make a little bit of space to normalize it and to talk about it, imagine like what a more vibrant community we would all be a part of. Um, so that's that's my, my, my grief tidbit. Um, and it's really cold here in Santa Fe. It's very snowy. <laughs> and so I've been using my Instapot like every day. I've been making like soups. So I put together this um, kale potato like stew soup thing. It's so good. I, mean, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, uh, Taj, was there anything before that you want to share before I close out the show, my friend? No. I mean, I, I love this episode. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing not only your story, but just the not only the books that are, you know, the, the new one that's coming and the other ones that are on the way as well. It's just I've you you have a, a a gift of explaining that's very hmm. interesting to me because you you said a lot of things that clicked to me in, in a way that it was i don't want to say dumbing down because that sounds i don't want to insult the audience but that's what you it did like you gave it a cliff note version that kind of in a way made it really and i know um but I, it was still very my, strong my, and my direct yeah. yeah i'm yeah. a cliff note person like that's my vibe so as you yeah. said with the children books and stuff like that um when my mom passed there wasn't really grief books and so who moved my cheese was my book in that way and that was a yeah. and and that's i translated in my brain what that meant in the mm -hmm. grieving space just about mm -hmm. something moving and changing and and all of that so it, it you spoke to me i just want you to know that and thank you uh, so much for coming on that's i said in a long-winded way but that's what i Thank you. I'm I'm so glad that it that it resonated, um, yeah, and yeah. I think maybe like 
number three really quickly is we overcomplicate things so much. Like that's just what we do as humans. That's what our brain does. Um, I tend to operate from the perspective of like saying less is more because when we say less, we give the people that we're talking to more space. Mm -hmm. And especially in the grief space, there is nothing that I can say or do or provide that is going to relieve your suffering. There's nothing I can do to make your grief better. The only thing I can do is witness. I can walk alongside I can companion and we together can give grief the space to be expressed how it needs so that there's more room within you to be able to live your life as fully as you can. Well, um, again, uh, I'm going to read a couple. Uh, Carrie says, thank you, Dr. Lee, for a wonderful show and the difference you are making for so many. Um, April says, I love this episode. It was very informative. Thank you, Dr. Lee, for your words. It's definitely something that I'm going to look into even for myself. And I just, there's so many other comments, but I just want to tell you, uh, Dr. Lee, I want to thank you for, for a wonderful, informative episode that has not only made a difference for me and my brother and um, our foundation, but for the whole community who's watching or listening today, as well as years into the future. I commend you for being decades in this space. It's a challenging space, but someone like you is who's needed to do it. So um, just just wanted to, on a personal kind of way, just just thank you for, for being that person, that truly that hero. So um, for everyone else out there, again, I'm going to put up the website so you can learn more um, of what Dr. Corey Lee is up to. It's CoreyLeePhD.com. Instagram users, you can go to Dr. Corey Lee. Um, trying to think if I have any others. That is it. Um, so yeah, I think I hit everything. But again, Dr. Lee, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are always welcome back. Whether it's the next book, the book after, the book after, you are always welcome back. And and again, thank you for all the information you gave us. Yeah, you're so welcome. And thank you for the work that you're doing and for creating this space and, and bringing so many people together. Um, it's so needed. We need more spaces yeah. like this. Um, and the very, very, very last thing. Yes. Um, so the, the university that I'm a professor at is Marion University. It is based in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. And we offer a fully online asynchronous Master of Science in Thanatology. And we also offer a fully online asynchronous certificate. So if you already have your bachelor's and you're not sure you want to get a master's or you already have a master's and you don't want to get another one, we offer a certificate program as well. Um, and everything mm -hmm. is online. It's all asynchronous. Um, we have like the best faculty. Our classes are engaging. Um, seven week semesters, um, rolling admissions, the whole thing. Okay. And how, how can they learn more about that? Uh, like, um, what was their website, or should they DM yes. you, or what? Yeah, there is a website. Um, I can drop the link. I can put a link in my bio in my Instagram okay. uh, for the Marion uh, program. Yeah, that would be great if you could for for a short amount of time. That way, if someone's like, "Oh, I want to learn," that way they could find it. Yeah, yeah. Perfect, perfect. Um, okay, that is it. That is the end of our show. This was a special show. Thank you again, Dr. Lee. Taj, as always, thanks, man. And to everyone who's watching, listening, we thank you all for being part of this community. Uh, we love you all. We want to just share some love and light to each and every one of you who may be going through challenging times. 
Um, and that is it. We will see you guys next Wednesday at 1 p.m. for another episode of The Power of Love Show. Adios, everyone. Have a great rest of your week. Bye.